restoration. Ryan here, I'm in my familiar place. Um, teaching uh, this morning, uh, we are switching to a new series. Spent the last nine weeks talking about who we wanna be as a church. Last year, 2020 began, we began in the Gospel of Mark. And we spent 17 weeks in the Gospel of Mark. And we uh, pivoted off of Mark to the book of Ecclesiastes. And as many of you remember, we jumped into the letter to the Philippians. We just felt like that was kind of where God was leading us, especially in uh, the season that we were in and really continue to still be in as, as a church in a, uh, in a world that is kind of nuts. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, a colony of heaven? We want to jump back into Mark, and we feel like as we head towards Easter, which we're excited to gather, more information to come, but as we head towards Easter, uh, just in the life of Jesus, in the words and the actions and the the power of his teaching and ministry. We just wanted to head towards Easter and beyond back in the book of Mark. And so today we're in Mark chapter four. Some of you in house church have already read it. It's a familiar parable. In fact, uh, scholars call it a gateway parable because Jesus actually says in verse 13, like, if you don't understand this one, how are you going to get the other ones? And so today, I just want to really encourage you and kind of push on you a bit, because if you're like me, and I know I am, we, we've heard this parable a lot in our lives. Um, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you're tuning in, you're part of a house church, whatever, and you're like, I don't know much about this Jesus character and what he's saying, but... Um, there's this parable, and it has to do with uh, a guy planting seeds that uh, many of us are familiar with. In fact, some of you are probably like, I already know where this is going. You're going to ask us what kind of soil we are, you know, that kind of a deal. But I just want you to try to push all that aside and approach this with some fresh curiosity today as we jump into it, because it is a very common parable. It's a very, it's like the magnum opus parable of Jesus. And uh, I just think it's got so much for us uh, today. I know I've just been wrestling with it the last couple of weeks. Um, chapter four, Mark, verse one, it says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd had gathered around him. Uh, was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Let me pray as we get into this. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to be together. Um, we are yearning for the moment we get to be um, fully back together as a church, but you are doing so much work in us and among us. I pray that you would continue that. I pray that you would give us wisdom and inform us um, as a leadership, as a staff, as a community, and who you want us to be. Um, and do it even this, this day, this moment, as we uh, wrestle with this parable. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Jesus, uh, the story continues. He says, he taught them many things. 
by parables. So Jesus is in a boat. And he's in a boat and he's a little bit offshore so that he can communicate to so many people. And if you remember, uh, his crowds are building. Jesus is doing amazing things and his crowds are full of people who are curious and interested and yearning for everything he's saying, every word that's coming out of his mouth. And then there's a group of people who are trying to figure out a way to get rid of him. Uh, Figure out a way to uh, push him out of the public sphere. And Jesus, there's so many people, they've come from hundreds of miles away. Um, It tells us where he's having this conversation, but people are coming from all over and following him from all over. And he uses parables. And Jesus did not invent parables. I think that's really important for us to understand. Jesus wasn't the beginning of parables. Parables have been used uh, by the teachers for so many years before this. And many times they had this flavor of a king and a kingdom to it. But many of Jesus's parables actually um, had this kind of common man, this blue collar, you know, regular person in mind when he told his parables. And so he continues on. He ta- it says he taught in parables and in his teaching said, listen, um, and that's like a way for you, like, come on, pay attention. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear uh, grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop. Some uh, multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, this is where his massive teaching um, in this point kind of stops. I mean, he may have gone on to say more things, but this is what we have recorded from Mark. That this boat experience where Jesus is in a boat talking to people on land, which Curiously, the word for people on the shore is actually the same word for soil. So, so Jesus is actually sowing seed right now onto the soil from the boat. And then there's a scene change. And it says in verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Now, here's what's interesting about a parable. And I was thinking about this. Um, some of you know I love watching and listening to comedians, uh, partly because I'm a public speaker, and so I'm trying to learn uh, tricks and tips on how they write and, 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 and how they deliver. And some of you are like, well, you're not that funny, um, so get another job. No, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, is like learning how to create words that have impact and, and string them together in a way that moves people. And uh, a good comedian, when a joke lands, sometimes it comes out of nowhere. It, it's the timing, it's the facial expression, it's, um, you know, the tone of, of the whole thing. And I think that that's what the amazing, like, have you ever had somebody, like, try to 
try to communicate how funny a comedian is or maybe or maybe do a line from a comedian and it just doesn't work it's just like that's really not funny like it, it sounds like this comedian's not very funny um the, the reality is is that uh, a joke has a punchline and timing just like a parable does a parable has a, a way of striking your heart and your mind, and it makes you think, and it and it just sticks with you. It 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 has a way of just getting in and, and just kind of bouncing around inside of you, and you can't you can't shake it. I mean, think of the parable that Nathan tells David in the Old Testament. I would encourage you to look this parable up. Uh, David has a, a an encounter, a moment of sin and weakness with Bathsheba. And he, she is pregnant, and there's this uh, moment where Nathan the prophet shows up into David's world. And he says, David, let me tell you a story. And he begins to tell him a story about a guy who has this baby lamb. And th there's another guy that has a whole bunch of lambs. And the other guy with a whole bunch of lamb comes and takes his lamb, this other guy's lamb, and his one baby lamb, and 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 kills it. And <laughs> David's David's just enraged. Like it, the scripture says, he like gets up, he's enraged, and he's like, "Who is this man? I'm gonna take care of this guy," you know. And Nathan goes, "That man's you." And it was the beginning of David. Uh, in his in his repentance and his anguish for who he had become. In the parable that Nathan told, the tone and the timing and the delivery struck David in such a powerful way that it changed his life. It went in deep. It affected him to his core. And he wrote all the psalms that we have about repentance and being far from God and being in anguish and this depth of, of soulful anguish. Now, here's the thing. For the people who are listening to this parable, as Jesus was communicating it from the boat, there's a scene change where Jesus is now alone. And it says, actually, that he's alone with his disciples and some others. We don't know how many, but it was definitely a stark contrast to the huge crowd that was on the shore. In fact, we get that this, this group was probably a group of people who are very curious, very into Jesus's message, and not the, the group of people that were trying to stifle Jesus or begin to plot against him. And so for the people there with Jesus at the scene change, the parable actually had cut into them. It, it had done something to them. They were curious. They were, it was rattling around inside of them. And they wanted to know what it meant. Um, remember, like, this group of people are a bunch of Jewish uh, many of them are Jewish. Many of them have grown up in the Jewish tradition. So when they hear the word uh, a farmer sowing seed, 
It's a very Jewish, very agricultural term. Many of the people would have understood it, whether they were Jewish or not. But there was the imagery of it that was really, really powerful. And you see, back in chapter 3, before we left off in May, we talked about these two different groups of people. We talked about this group of people who were really curious about Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus and were uh, swept up into who Jesus was. And then there was a group of people that were actually trying to trip him up and mess with him and to thwart him. And um, there, there, there's this interesting thing happening. There was a group of people who were very conservative Jewish people, the Pharisee tribe, that ended up linking arms with a very liberal, progressive tribe called the Sadducees. And they actually joined forces to, to, to move against Jesus, which is really interesting to think about, especially in our day and age, uh, for those of you who worship politics. But both groups, the conservative and the liberal groups, they wanted Jesus gone. They actually weren't fighting against each other. They were actually bonded together to get rid of Jesus because Jesus was actually pushing against both of their perceived worldviews, both of their lifestyles. And so both wanted Jesus gone. They wanted him gone because they, they claimed he was insane or demonic um, and it's this backdrop that Jesus tells the parable. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. He, he's, he's all this time, he's been sowing seeds. Jesus has been sowing seeds with the way he's been teaching. Okay, He's teaching in parables or, or the things that he's claiming. Right, He's been sowing seeds in the, the people he's been healing. And not only the people he's been healing, but the way in which and the timing in which he heals them on the Sabbath or whatever. He's been sowing seeds in his claims, in his life, and all these things. And the point of the parable that Jesus is saying is to encourage people in serious, um, persistent, perceptive allegiance. Like, what, what does this look like? What does this kingdom look like? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for my people? And so the parables are actually meant to drive deeper into the heart of the people um, this idea of the gospel and the announcement that Jesus is Lord and the kingdom of God is near. And so it says in verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. They're like, tell us a little bit more about this. We're curious. We want to know what's, what their meaning is. And he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah. So that they may ever be seen, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. So, what is Jesus doing here? Is Jesus uh, purposefully uh, making it so people can't understand? That just doesn't sound very Jesus-y, right? What he's saying is, he's actually turning 
the people who thought they were insiders into outsiders. And he's turning the outsiders, people who they thought they had no shot at the kingdom of God, into insiders. And, and people, you know, this is, this is a classic uh, thing of Jesus. People who thought they had no chance, people who thought they had no claim on the kingdom of God, are actually ushered to the front of the line in Jesus's economy. And the people who really thought, like the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the, the very religious, who thought that they had um, kind of inside track to God, were actually being pushed to the outside. So the real outsider, according to Jesus, listens to Jesus and, and asks how they can get rid of this guy. The real, the true insider is someone who believes the words of Jesus, who actually pulls the seed into their life and buries it deep. And over time, this seed begins to transform their life, begins to uh, bear fruit in their life. And it's the power of the word, the seed, to transform. And so coming up in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see how Jesus makes more people who are outsiders insiders. And, and there's this great story, we'll catch it at the end of Mark, of, of Jesus making a, 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 a demon-possessed, cave-dwelling freak of a man an insider in the kingdom. So he, Jesus tells parables, and we're going to talk about some more parables next week, to kind of flip the world upside down. And it's his way of inviting people into the kingdom. I mean, he has this one parable about uh, what we call the Good Samaritan. And basically, what he says is like, here's what my kingdom's like. My kingdom's like um, this guy stopping to help this guy in need. And, and they are both, uh, I mean, it, you wouldn't expect it. So, so the idea is, if, if you want to be in my kingdom... Stop and help somebody in need. If you don't want to be in my kingdom, keep walking. And he tells these stories, and it always breaks down to two audiences, right? Jesus and his disciples, his true disciples, and the crowd. And when we left off in May, we talked about these two different camps. And when Jesus quotes from Isaiah, this is really important. And pay attention, don't lose me here. He says, the context of Isaiah is actually judgment, okay, and hope. And he sends the people into exile as judgment. God sends, Isaiah's telling this story about God being sowing seed and, 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 and what the harvest will be. And for some, it'll be judgment. But then he talks about this faithful remnant, this group of people. And we don't know the size, but, but the scriptures talk about the remnant. And, and all the way through Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 55. Uh, and, and if you're a Jewish person and Jesus talks about, let them, you know, let them see but never understand this idea, it comes from this idea of Isaiah, of exile, of judgment, and the faithful remnant. And the people hearing this would understand this imagery. And, and what's crazy is that Jesus uses the imagery of a seed. You know, some of the people actually would have preferred Jeremiah's imagery, which was fire and a hammer. That sounds cooler 
than a seed. That sounds like something's getting done and, and people are going to pay. And so this idea in Jeremiah, this interpretation of God being like a, a fire and a hammer. Yeah. Group one is this disobedient, kind of unfaithful, idol-worshiping Israel who's not hearing God's voice. And group two is this faithful remnant. And when Jesus shows up on the seed, he uses an imagery of a sower sowing seed. And he's saying the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. And the, and the time of kingdom renewal and salvation is here. And, and there's two different groups, the receptive and the non-receptive. Now, it looks different because there's four different soils, right? There's really two different, two different people. People who are receptive to the kingdom and people who are not. And Jesus says in verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Like I said, it's the gateway parable, according to Jesus. The farmer sows the word, he says in verse 14. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. So each of these examples is actually an example of something that's already happened in the book of Mark. Um, that, that Mark is alluding to the people within the story already and to us. This idea that the, the, the word is sown and, it, and, it, and a bird comes, you know, birds are satanic, and the bird comes and takes the seed and gobbles it up. It's this weird idea that a seed is powerful, which we'll get to here in a second, but super vulnerable. It's just a little seed. It's food for a bird. And this idea that the word of God is thrown out there and it, it does not sink in and people's lives aren't ready to hear it. They're cold to it. Or they're actively trying to stop it. We talked about uh, a couple years ago, we did a series called The Flesh, the World, and the Devil, which is basically... Um, this idea, like early church fathers, uh, talked about the three enemies of the soul. The three enemies, really, of the soil, right? Of our lives. The flesh, the world, and the devil. And this idea that um, we, um, there's, there's forces at work that are enemies of what God wants to do. And they're in us, and they're around us, and we're we're prone to those forces. Verse 16, he says, Others, like the seed uh, sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they, have, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This idea of like a shallow, rocky soil, um, this idea maybe of Jesus being an accessory to our lives. And then when really difficult things come, when, when difficult um, stands have to be made and commitments have to be made and sacrifices have to be made, it doesn't last. Following Jesus is hard. Proclaiming Jesus, announcing that Jesus is Lord is hard. 
not just with our mouths, not just on Instagram, not just with a bumper sticker. Please don't do that. But with our lives, with our finances and, and everything, those sacrifices, the, the who Jesus has called us to be is an announcement that Jesus is Lord. And when life gets difficult, does that announcement get difficult? Does it go away? Still others, verse 18, still others like seen sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The soil is crowded. I think this is like the American suburban Christian soil. We have so much in our lives. So much that pulls at us. Wealth and increase of wealth and the potential for this and that. Giving our kids good educations so that they can go to college and get good jobs and live the American dream. These all these things, really, they're subtle. They're, they're growing at the same time as the seed. And it's slow. And it doesn't happen overnight. And it may even look like it's supposed to be there. But it's a thorn. It's a weed. And when we look back over our lives after 20 years of allowing all of this to grow, our lives are overgrown. It chokes out the power of the gospel. It chokes out the fruit that you and I can have in this world. Because we've pursue, pursued everything. We've pursued it all. You know, with Jesus, he tells us over and over again, it's all or nothing, right? It's die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And this is where the subtle difficulty in following Jesus comes. And that's why we need each other to help point out these things in each other's lives. Like maybe we need to think about how we're living. And maybe that's a conversation for your house church. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it. And listen to this, produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. You know, a good agriculturalist or, you know, you talk to a good farmer, if you, like eight times, if you have eight times the harvest, it's pretty good. 30 times, crazy. 60 times, not happening. 100 times, impossible. It's amazing to think about the power of a seed and it's amazing to think about the power of the gospel in the kingdom of God in us, like what it could do to transform not only us. I mean, that's that whole idea of just ourselves um, and making ourselves better is not the gospel. That's self-help. The gospel is meant to transform us so that we transform the world, so that we do stuff with it, so that we obey it, so that we proclaim it, so that we uh, sacrifice everything for it and move it forward. 
Guys, part of the, the, the cool thing that's happened this year in the life of the church, not just ours, but in the church, is I really believe that this is a moment for us to recapture what our mandate is, what our responsibility is in this world. Our responsibility isn't to gather. Jesus didn't leave the disciples and say, go and make a gathering. Go and make a gathering of people and go and make a group of attenders. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And a disciple, remember, is someone who looks at their life and say, how would Jesus live my life if Jesus were me? Like, what would Jesus sacrifice? What would Jesus push away from? What would Jesus reject in order to live the way that God had created you and I to live? And I think that the church really has the opportunity right now. We have the opportunity right now to re uh, to rekindle what our goal is, what our mission is, what our mandate is. And so the harvest is always a picture in Scripture of the arrival of God's kingdom. That's what the picture is. And as crazy as this sounds, and as Un, uh, unpractical as this sounds. I believe that God wants to do that. I think that God wants to take this moment in the, in the life of this world, in this, in this moment in time, in this moment in history, and actually draw people to him. Your friends and your family. To hear the, this announcement of the kingdom. The gospel is, is for life change, that God wants to pull people into what he's doing in this world, to forgive them, to show them his great love for them. And that's what we're about. That's what this community is. I mean, the word has power, right? That, that's what a seed, the seed is the word, and a seed has power. I mean, it looks vulnerable and tiny and small and insignificant and, and kind of worthless, kind of throw away, you know? But it has this power that when it's put in deep, over time it makes, it something happens. Something life comes from it. First uh, Peter talks about imperishable seed. That we are imperishable seed. That God wants to do something with. James talks about the birth through the word of truth. That it is planted in us. And it's meant to grow. The gospel contains power. It's information, it's words, it's content. Yes, but it's power that comes from our lives, that God changes. God recreates us. It's, it's the power to bring life, right? It's, it, that's why it goes in deep. That's why it's supposed to go down deep. It's intended to be something that we respond to and we obey. Not just think about and learn, but we actually respond to it and obey it. And then the last thing, it has this infinite potential for life. The word of God, the seed, has an infinite potential for life. And it talks about Jesus being the first fruits of God's 
creation, like this new creation that when we talk about on Easter, that God goes, Jesus goes into the ground and then comes out new life. And that we are part of a resurrection people. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. And he shows the way for that. And this is the idea that you and I, hearing uh, the announcement and, and, and capturing the seed of God and accepting that into our lives, we're actually supposed to push it in deep. And it does its work. It does its slow work under the surface. Um, the other night, we gathered as a staff and leadership right behind me down here, and we were praying. And some of the praying that happened, just this idea of patience, kept coming up. And we're all dealing with heavy things in our lives, uh, staff and leadership, many of you as well. But this idea that God is doing something in us, um, in fact, the early church, uh, they would write uh, so many things. Um, they would write these treaties, these treatises about different things. Um, they never once wrote a treatise on evangelism. Like, we got to get out there and hit the malls and tell, ask people if they know where they're going to go when they die. Now, they never did those kind of evangelistic treatises. You know what they wrote about the most? They wrote about patience. They, both, they wrote about patience, and they wrote about the idea that God slowly, consistently, through the patience of his people, is is doing something, is growing. The gospel is spreading and it's slowly spreading. And after three, four hundred years, the gospel actually became the dominant idea, religion in the Roman Empire. And it wasn't because they were pushing people over the head, hitting people over the head with scripture or scrolls or whatever. They were, they were patient. They knew that God was going to work. They knew that God was changing them slowly from the inside out. They knew that God was changing their family and their community. And they began to, to move ahead in patience. So it's a paradox, right? This seed, this tiny seed, looks so weak. But it's full of power. And, you know, we learn in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, this idea that even from the beginning, God knew what he was doing. And the imagery of the seed was very much there. The people thought it was going to be a political warlord to come with fire and a hammer, but it came as a, a nobody from Nazareth named Jesus. And so where in your life do you need to push the seed in further? How do you nurture, how do you reflect on the, the, the gospel seed, the kingdom of God in your life? Where does it need to go deeper? Does it need to go deeper in your relationships? Does it need to go deeper in your practices, in your, in your time uh, prioritizing? Does it need to go deeper in your reflection? Does it need to go deeper in your sacrifice? Does it need to go deeper in your finances? Does it need to go deeper in your time and in your intentionality with um, the people on the margins of our community? The, the poor and the homeless and the, the immigrant and the disenfranchised and the person who's, 
who can't get ahead, who can't even catch up? Does, does the gospel seed need to go in deeper in your life, in our life as a community? And so this morning, I want you, if you have ears to hear, let it go deep in your life. This morning, church, I just want to just send you with this idea. May the gospel go deep inside. May it go deep into the hurt and the pain of your life, deep into the fears of your life, into your plans, into your finances, into your neighborhood, into your friendships, into your community. Let me pray. Father, will you uh, wrestle this into us? Would you, would you uh, as a community, would you help us to wrestle with the idea of, of our receptivity to the seed that you've scattered, the gospel hope, the kingdom of God come to earth. God, your ultimate plan is to reunite heaven and earth. And you are choosing to have us be a part of that. That in some ways you want us to start pulling on the ropes that tether heaven and earth together. And it's going to cause us to have to drop things in order to do that. To get that kingdom seed deeper in our lives. God, will you... Will you give us the opportunity to share, to reflect, to challenge each other to make it so? And God, for those who are sitting here listening to this message, curious of the words of Jesus, God, would your spirit draw um, them closer to you this morning? That they may experience forgiveness. They may, may, they may experience a, a, a surrender of their own life to the gospel seed. We pray these things in your name. Amen.